Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Coming to you direct from our super secret studio. Hello, this is Washington for Beautiful People on Deep State Radio. I'm your host, Emily Brandwin, CIA spy girl on Twitter, and we're broadcasting from the very chilly West Left Coast today, and I am beyond thrilled to be joined by journalist and novelist. He's written for Arizona Republic, Associated Press, USA Today, and currently senior staff writer at Entertainment Weekly, and he wrote his debut novel, Brutal Youth, just a few years back. It's Anthony Bresnikan. Hey, Anthony. Oh, it's so nice to be with you. Oh, thank you for uh, for being on our show. Did I get everything right? Yeah, that, that about covers it. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> I, like, I missed everything. You're like, oh, yes, and this. And I saved lives and saved puppies from fire. <laughs> I could, like, add that in really quickly. Uh, I, do, I do what I can. <laughs> uh, by the way, and then we'll dive in, and I don't mean to sound like my grandmother by mentioning this. It's really cold in California right now, correct? Are you freezing? It- it is. I mean, you know, I'm a Pittsburgh guy, so oh. I don't I, I can go out in this weather without a jacket and people look at me like I'm crazy. But uh, yeah, anytime it gets below 50 people in Southern California start to think they're going to freeze to death. Uh, I'm cool with it. But yeah, there was ice on the sidewalk today from the sprinklers that went off overnight. So yeah. I, I wear like a parka to shop frozen food at Ralph's like. This is ridiculous. I had on fingerless gloves in my house and we have heat. I looked like a reject from rent. Like I, I, <laughs> I I'm dying. Do I need to catch a train somewhere and get some food? Like I looked absolutely pathetic. And I now I had a space heater on about two minutes ago, about three, like three inches from my face. And I was like, okay, now I'm going to get like second degree burn. This is not, <laughs> um, I, I want to say, I'm so excited to have you on. And I discovered you from entertainment weekly, but then was, really thrilled to read a lot of your tweets because I know that you're, you know, you talk a lot about politics as well as entertainment and our show is, you know, Washington for beautiful people. And it's sort of that merge of where entertainment and politics have kind of come together since the age of Trump and how that sort of inspired this outspokenness and, you know, this call to action, especially within the entertainment community and you covering entertainment. I was like, hmm, the perfect person to talk about this. Well, thank you. Yeah, I'm just, I feel so special to be asked to be on a show that implies somehow that I'm a beautiful person. I'll oh. just like, I'll take that wherever I can get it. <laughs> Please, I'm thrilled to host it. I, I used to wear an eye patch in school. Like, anything helps me. I'm like, you want to call it that? That sounds great. I'll make up for never going to prom. Like a cool, like a cool eye patch, like no, a no. like a Nick Nick Fury eye patch, or a... no? It was it was literally like a tan adhesive one. Oh no. It was not, my parents did not care. There was no bedazzling. There was no sympathy. They're like, you have lazy eyes. Just go on out there, kid. It'll build character. And I was like, this is horrible. Well, you, 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 we've never met in person, but uh, but you, you clearly have, uh, you've had a glow up. 
Yeah. <laughs> and somebody told me that, like, I mean, it took you a long time to swan out, like a really <laughs> long time. And I was like, I know there's a compliment in there, but they kept saying, no, like a really long time to swan out, like super long. I'm like, I get it. It took a really long time. Um, <laughs> But you know, nothing cool, and I've burned all those pictures, so they'll never be seen. Um, for you, I was going to ask you, had you ever seen, in covering entertainment, this level of activism before? Or do you think that, obviously, Trump sort of set fire to it and poured gasoline on it? Had you ever seen it at different points that you've covered the industry? Well, I think it definitely is ignited uh, yeah to continue that metaphor after Trump's election but um, you know I, I think there has always been a movement among especially writers and uh, film in a way filmmakers directors to a lesser degree but actors people who really put themselves into the work uh, either through writing or by performing it uh, they've always been outspoken I mean, You've heard, I think Laura Ingram wrote a book a few years ago, Shut Up and Sing, right? And I remember yeah. interviewing her about that. Oh. And uh, I'm like, what if they sing a protest song? You know, <laughs> what's wrong <laughs> with that? that? Yeah. I mean, like, like everything that's, that's written, whether it's a music or a TV show or a book or a movie, like there's something from that person's heart that goes into it. Even the most crass commercial, like even the worst stuff, like Ed Wood's, uh, plan nine from outer space. Like, you know, he has uh, a part of himself in there or, or something he wants to say in addition to the, uh, you know, the entertainment value of it. It just seeps in. And I think that's always been the case. So this idea of like, oh, you're just an actor. What do you know? Well, probably knows what struggle is like. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Uh, and, and of course, there are, you know, people who maybe second or third generation actors, they've grown up wealthy and uh, fortunate. But um but I still think that there's uh, there's work involved in that. You know, it's certainly different than um, than a lot of other jobs. But there's a, an effort to understand the world. I don't think you can be good at these jobs unless you have some connection to regular people. You know, some yeah. understanding. Some sometimes all it takes is empathy. You well, know, and I, I think we see a lot of that. And I think you, you know, uh, I'm sorry. I know you have a no, question there, but I... <laughs> no, no, no. Keep going, and I'll. My point was not nearly that important. Well, I mean, a couple of years ago, I, I, I used to cover the Oscars. I covered those for 12 years. And um, and uh, I think there was there had been a number of speeches that during the Oscar ceremony. You know, there's always been somebody who makes a political statement. You get up on that platform in front of millions of people in a global audience. And you want to say something beyond just thank, thank you my, so much. Thank you, my agent, and uh, in, in days <laughs> bygone, thanks to Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> you, know, you want to say something a little bit more, and like you want to Patricia Arquette it a little bit. Well, that was the year she did that. You know, she won, <gasps> and she got up and she talked about uh, I think it was like equal pay and equal treatment yep. for women. And there was a woman who'd won a short film. I, I'm blanking on her name right now, but it was about teenage suicide, and I think her son had committed suicide. Either that or I might be scrambling this. I think maybe she had like a, a woman with her whose son had committed suicide. But anyway, this was very personal. And she talked about preventing teen suicide. And um, uh, and, and there were a, a number of other speakers who not just brought up politics, but brought them up in a very eloquent way um, and uh, spoke from the heart. 
and tried to say something that, to my mind, wasn't necessarily political, you know? Um, yeah. It wasn't like, oh, I'm up there advocating for a candidate, you know what I mean? Also, well, if was... you're advocating about, if you're talking about suicide, if you're talking about equal pay, to me, those aren't partisan issues. Those, that's just... Exactly. That's just humanity. That's just saying we can do better and we need to do better. That same year, uh, a friend of mine named Graham Moore, who's a screenwriter, won for the Imitation Game, and he got up there and and he talked about his you know depression and never feeling like he fit in and and, and wanting to take his own life and 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 fighting back from that and encouraging people to 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 stick with it and 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 fight through and like those aren't political statements and I, and I went on CNN the next night it was Don Lemon's show and he had some other you know talking heads on and they're like why why can't they just entertain us why do they have to get political uh, and I was like what was political here political. they're just talking about what matters to them in many ways it's part of the stories they've told that have won them the award what's and, wrong with yeah that? I'm sorry which candidate are you going to vote for that's going to be like you know what suicide what ups like you want I mean that to me doesn't even correlate to politics. Those are just issues. It's also so demeaning to me when people say, shut up and act, shut up and cook, shut up and do something else. Because we're all Americans. We all have opinions. To me, it comes off as just disgusting jealousy and this just rabid jealousy that you're upset someone has a platform bigger than you and louder exactly. than you that's saying something that you don't want to hear. And the fact that Laura Ingram would then write a book about people mm -hmm. having a platform is, to me, the biggest form of hypocrisy out there. And one, take the actor or the famous side out of it. They're Americans. You yeah. know, I remember when Michael Moore made his statement that was booed and hissed by some at the Oscars and cheered by others. They always neglect to mention that. Uh, but it was, I, I believe that was 2004, right? And he- uh, Was it Roger and he, me? He didn't, no, no, no. He, he, he had won yeah. for Bowling for Columbine, mm. uh, but, um, uh, but, but Fahrenheit 9-11 had not yet come out. And he, uh. and he said, you know, the president is marching us to war under false pretenses. And um, he was right. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. We can look back with uh, 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 the perspective of history and say he was right. Yeah. And I get it. He was grating and he's combative. Yeah. And, and he's not the best messenger for these for these you know, topics. But, he, but I think he actually is or, or was at least at that time because. He was willing to stick his neck out and say the yeah. unpopular thing that was true, and he was booed for it. He was condemned for it. And I remember he went backstage at the Oscars, and somebody said, who are you to get up there and say this? And Michael Moore said, I'm an American. Yeah. And I thought, I remember seeing that and thinking, yeah, you know what? What other qualification do you need? If you're a janitor or a school teacher or a lawyer or a bus driver or an electrical engineer, you have the same right to speak as any actor. But I would argue that somebody like Chris Evans, Captain America, yeah. is kind of better versed in a lot of these issues than Laura Ingram. Who is she? Who, she has a right to speak, but what qualifies her? What gives her any special elevation over LeBron James or, or the actor who plays Captain America? These guys actually seem pretty well versed in what it no, is they're talking well about. Versed, very well versed. It's funny. I just talked to Alyssa Milano a couple of weeks ago. Oh. Uh, I, lo I love Alyssa Milano. She came up here to the town where I live, north of the city, and she moderated a debate among our uh, congressional candidates in the primary, and it was the best de debate we had. It was you know, hosted by Samantha Michelli. Like, it was great. So. Oh, my God. I, I know. Like, the whole time I was talking to her, I'm like, that's all I wanted to say. I'm like, Emily, don't go there. Don't geek out. I'm like, okay. I was like, that's 
I want you to talk about Angela. Talk about Angela. (laughs) I I hate to say it, but that night I was like, I was just really impressed by how much, one, how much she knew about a a congressional election in in our district. I mean, she knew the national issues, but she was super well prepared. And, and, you know, her ability to perform made her very good at, like, moderating on stage. So she knew her stuff. She was great at presenting the questions, at, at, you know, giving the candidates time to speak. And uh, my hat is off to her. She sticks her neck out there, too, because she gets a ton of abuse. She gets and, so um, much abuse. It's interesting. But I, I think if I would argue that she's better versed than so many other talking heads out there on on all of these topics and issues. When we were talking, we went from you know, top and topic. She knew everything and she was so well read and you can tell that it meant something it meant something so deeply to her that she had researched it so completely and i think you see that with a lot of people now mm-hmm. these celebrities that there is substance behind their message they're not just like a tucker or a laura not that i'm saying that anything bad but i am um yeah no but but like you look at somebody like shannon watts uh she was a mother yeah and she founded mom's demand action and i think the day will come Someday, when we look back at this time and say, hey, do you remember when you could basically buy an assault weapon yeah. uh, for about the cost of a PlayStation? And uh, nobody asked any questions about that. And and Shannon Watts and a lot of moms in red T-shirts helped change that. And I think she that will amazing. someday she will someday be remembered in the way that Susan B. Anthony is, you know. And um, so what qualified her for that? She studied the subject and. And it's really about- learned a lot about it and mobilized people. So well, there's nothing wrong with that. But yeah, but there's definitely a ton more activism. But that was so that that Oscar show I was telling you about, like with with uh, uh, um, Patricia, Patricia Arquette and uh, Grant and Graham Moore and um, and, and uh, I think it was your heart. Did Javier who won? I was it the director who won that year? Um, it was if she won. It was the director who won for. Uh, what what is the name? Oh, the movie just eluded me. Didn't he win for it too? Linklater? No. No, 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 no. I don't think that was him. him. Uh, but I think there was you know, a, I don't know why I'm thinking like I know this. I'm like, oh yeah, I'll listen. He says it. It was either an actor or a, a filmmaker who who spoke about uh, being an immigrant. You know, uh-huh. and um, uh, it's. I, I wish I could look it up or have it at my fingertips. But you know, these were all subjects that. That, that now are once again, women's rights, immigrant rights, the way we treat people from other countries who come here asking for help, the way we treat people who are unhealthy and yeah. need medical care, whether it's from depression or another illness. Um, these were all subjects that now have just been uh, magnified because of the cruelty and the ignorance of not just the Trump administration, but Trump supporters. And I think that's a group that often gets a pass. And I think they feel ashamed when they see somebody who they like tell them what you're doing is wrong and you know it's wrong. And it's one thing when it comes from your friend or your cousin, that hurts, right? Yep. You've said something racist or you've said something that's just false. (laughs) And it hurts too when it's an actor or a writer or a musician they like. And that's what incenses them so much Um, because it's the same as when an actor, famous person dies. If they meant something to you, you feel sadness, even if you never met them. Absolutely. 
because you feel like you knew them. You have that way. personal connection. And I think social media has also elevated that where you feel even more connected to people and that yeah. see that they're, oh, they're a real person who's now impacted my life and changed me in some way. And do you remember when Meryl Streep, I think she got like a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Golden Globes. And, you of course know. she did. She's probably gotten like two dozen. <laughs> I know. She just like, backed the fuck. And they're like, here, what do you like, want? what do I need with another doorstop, right? I mean, this yeah. woman has been honored uh, uh, for decades. and uh, But she used her time at the, at the microphone, not to talk about herself, but to talk about that moment. I think this was right after, right? Trump had just been, or was about to be inaugurated. And she talked about him mocking that disabled man in oh, front of the crowd. And, and just how a powerful man, a privileged man, a comfortable man, somebody who aspires to the highest office would use his time in front of a big group of people to mock and belittle a person's disability. Like, what does that say? What kind of weakness does that reveal uh, in his character and in the character of the people who were cheering? And she was, she, she wasn't breathing fire. It was almost, you could feel the heartbreak in what she was saying. It's a very powerful speech. And I, I don't. I, I remember that vividly. Was your saying, I'm like, absolutely. I know. Yeah, you could feel it was palpable in her voice. Yeah. And, and like, you know, I didn't. I didn't need her to sing. <laughs> that wouldn't be the right place to sing. I didn't need her to act or entertain me. And, you know, she could have given a speech thanking people for, you know, the decades of support. But she'd done that other times. She used her time to say something that mattered and say something that was real and, and actually people needed to hear. And if you recall, there was this like a couple hours of like, oh, my God, can you believe she said that among, amongst everybody? And then the people who support Donald Trump, the people who laughed when he mocked a disabled man, the people who deny he did it, even though we saw it. Even though there's video proof, they're like, run the video. They're like, that's not right. That's not oh, true. yeah, but he does that all the time. I'm sorry, we've seen a lot of Donald Trump, and we know all of his idiosyncrasies, and we can all do an impression now, and he doesn't do that unless he's making fun of somebody who has that Absolutely. disability. And, and then that shame. I think what Meryl Streep did was she made them feel a moment, she made them see, she made the scales fall and they felt a little bit of shame over what they had done, over what they'd supported, what they'd overlooked. And then because they cannot deal with that shame or cannot accept the responsibility for that, they lashed out cruelly, in some ways violently, calling for terrible things to happen to her. They, they in a sense, almost, it made them hulk out a little more as... <laughs> As in terms of their viciousness and nastiness in jeering because she had made them feel like human beings again for just a brief moment. So when I hear people like sneer at entertainers or whatever, like, hey, you don't have to like entertainers. And I get like that the red carpet kind of obnoxious, you know, unless you're into fashion. Like, like it looks like they're I want to know what around. they're wearing. I'll be yeah. honest. But like. Entertainment is such a blue-collar job. I had some relatives in Pittsburgh who, uh, who were saying like, "Well, what has Hollywood ever done for us?" Well, uh, the movie Fences shot there, and they brought thirty million dollars to your community, and it wasn't in paying actors; it was in hiring uh, caterers and renting halls and trucks and renting locations and hiring contractors to build things and electricians to wire things and like. <laughs> millions of dollars that they dropped there. These are all these are the people you meet on a movie set. I guarantee you. I've met Meryl Streep. I've seen her sitting cross-legged on the floor of a dressing room rehearsing her lines, 
you know, I've seen her in action. She would hang out at the bar with you and the rest of the crew <laughs> over Donald Trump. Like, he's not going to hang out in your he's bar. He's not going to hang out with you. Yeah. He's not going to sit in your Pittsburgh dive. He doesn't and, care. And, and, uh, and have a yingling with you. He's, he's, uh, he's only going to go places that have gold-plated toilets. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> um, you know, being in a, working on a TV show or a movie set, you're just surrounded by, like, like not just blue-collar people, but, like, every kind every of blue-collar person. Like, you know, plumbers and electricians and carpenters and painters and, uh, and also a lot of computer tech people, you know, lighters and... But we don't know that. Like, I think the mm-hmm. just when you watch a movie, you're like, oh, there's a director and an actor, and that's about it. Like, you could, yeah. that's all you see. And then you see the credits. You're like, I'm sorry, what's a grip? What's <laughs> exactly. It? And it's where you're like, oh, that's the gazillion people that make this little moment for you yeah. connect to you. And truck drivers and caterers who are cooking for all those hundreds of services, thousands of people. Yeah. So, like, you know, these are people who are – you know, and not everybody's in a tuxedo working on a movie, you know what I mean? <laughs> like so uh, I, I always think it's, a, you know, comical that people seem to think that. Um, and look, hey, there are smug, out-of-touch actors and rich people. Don't get me wrong. But, no. Uh, I mean, believe it or not. Breaking no. news. But I do think, like, there's a propensity among some to, uh, I think, maybe just look down your nose at anyone who's doing well if you are – that kind of person, if you're bitter minded and, um, you know, when, when somebody makes you feel bad about something you supported, something that was fun, like, let's be honest. Yeah. Bullies, like, you know, they, 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 they have this little orbit of little like lesser bullies and toadies and that feels good. Like that feels good to be with like the strong person because you're not, because you don't have to be scared. You're picking on somebody else. They're going after somebody else. So even if you don't really want to hurt anybody else, you don't have that drive in you. It feels good to be with the bully, and that group mentality takes over. Where yeah, let's we do things that we wouldn't necessarily do on our own because everybody's doing it. Everybody's doing it, and you feel included. And And anything, anything that punctures that, that makes you look at yourself and say, "Oh my God, that was I did that." That's not who I should be. God, yeah. It, it, it's strange. You you think that would make people change and it would touch their hearts, but sometimes the minute you touch somebody's heart, it just makes makes it lock up again, freeze over, and and they lash out. And, and I don't I, know, maybe I don't know what it takes to change people, but I, I know. hope I hope that I mean my fervent hope is that we've now seen enough stories and people are now seeing enough stories, even after the government shutdown, where you're seeing eight hundred thousand fellow Americans who literally, these are Americans who are dedicated public servants that are just working hard for you and me and are amazing, not biased Americans, seeing them suffer. And I I don't know if that's closer. Maybe that's a pinpoint where they're like, oh, oh, okay, that's really bad. You're hearing mothers talk about, do I feed my children or do I get chemo? A choice no one should ever have to make. No and one. No one ever should ever have to make that. And because I think we see all these other stories and I don't know if it's easier to distance if we, you know, if you see what's going on in Syria or if you see what's going on other places or some of these other stories in America. But I don't know. My hope is that when you see things that are so close to home, hopefully that will change hearts and minds or sort of a culmination of it all when you see Mm -hmm. children being ripped away from their parents. And if you cannot feel that in your heart, then there is something lacking in there. I, 
I, I have to speak that. I, I know I'm incredibly naive, but that happens to happen. Well, I think of that line that, that, that's the epigram that opens uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas from Dr. Johnson, like that uh, Hunter Thompson always quoted, which was, uh, uh, he who makes a beast of himself gets rid of the pain of being a man. Uh, you know, I think it goes for men and women <laughs> and sometimes yeah. little kids. But if you make a beast of yourself, you lose the pain of being a human. Yeah. And I think sometimes that's what's at play is that if we can... It hurts to think of those kids separated. It hurts to think of people who have to choose between chemo and um, their kids' school lunch and their house payment. And so if we can armor ourselves and make ourselves uh, a little more vicious or and maybe they have it coming, uh, that makes it a little easier. Pretend to believe the lies because I, mm -hmm. I, I, my, I mean, my little secret theory is that Trump knows everything he's saying is a lie. I don't think oh, he yeah. His lies. Some people are like, oh no, he believes that. I don't think he believes that. I think he everything he says is just to benefit his wallet. And so I think he believes he knows that what he's saying is a lie. But what I I hope that other people are I think a lot of people also who support him know that these are lies, but they just excuse them and they kind of wear it as their armor. They just like the lie. Yeah. Uh, oh, his crowd was bigger at his inauguration. You can look at those pictures and Of course. Uh, my, my my brother works as a therapist with uh uh, kids who have cognitive disabilities and, and um, you know, he's got his graduate degree in psychology. So I was like, what is the psychological thing that's happening here where people are looking at two different photos and they're seeing one size is clearly larger than the other. <laughs> and they, yet they say the crowd that is sparse was bigger. What's, what's happening there? And he said, Oh, yeah, that's a phenomenon called lying. <laughs> like, I've heard of this. I've heard of this phenomenon. I was like, oh, did they? Are they distorted? Is there some sort of uh, confusion? Is there like a cult thing taking over? And he said, no, no. They just know which group is which, and they want they're in a way trolling the person asking the question. So then they can say, well, seventy nine percent of Trump supporters think this inauguration was larger. Uh, such a petty thing to fight it's over so, anyway, but like, it's, well, it's the, and literally, and that's like what kicked off the, the, I was like, really, that's how we're going to start. We're really going to start there. But important because it speaks, it's a, a metaphor for like the lack of awareness of reality. And, um, you know, we, we're here talking about actors and people who speak up and, and I would say, look, there are a lot of people out there laying it on the line yep. to speak up now, uh, who've taken that, um, uh, that uh, a poem by the German priest is it is it uh, Niedermeyer who said you know first they came for, and I yeah. said nothing. First they came for the trade unions, and I said nothing. Then they came for the Jews, and I said nothing because I wasn't a Jew. People who've grown up knowing that poem who've said no no no, first they came for the Muslims, not not this time, you know. Exactly. And, and, and they're not just they're not actors. They're they are teachers and and plumbers and librarians and people who have. 30 fr followers who are mainly their friends uh, from their neighborhood or their high school who follow them on Twitter or Facebook, but and they're matters. speaking out. It and matters. Guess, it's a ripple. And, and I even said this to Chris Evans. I don't think I'm betraying any confidence, but I cover the Marvel movies, and, and we were talking on the set of uh, one of these films, and I said, I really admire you sticking your neck out because, frankly, you could avoid it. You don't have to. Yeah. You have a brand to sell. And the same goes for every other well-known person who has the platform. You have 
you have a business and you're yet you're saying, here's what I believe from my heart. And here's what I know from my reading <laughs> and studies. And it's not that I think that makes him or Meryl Streep or anybody else who's very famous, uh, a, a particularly special hero. I think there are tons of heroes out there, known and unknown, who are really risking everything to say what's true and real. But I think it fortifies those people who don't have the same platform yeah. to see, oh, Stephen King is speaking his mind. Chris Evans is speaking his mind. If they can risk it, I, I can. can risk it. And it just makes you, just like we said, you know, you feel like you know these people, even if you don't, you feel like, hey, I'm not alone in this. There's one other person, at least, who's with me. Is there anybody you wouldn't interview now because of their politics? Like, would you interview, I know it's your job, so you would, so, but would you, like, if they're like, interview James Woods? Oh, I'd interview James Woods. Would you say anything or would you have to be like, tell I mean, or would you be like, between you and me, James, you kind of suck. Um, look, I mean, I would I would keep it professional. If he had a movie coming out and we were doing a first look on the film, yeah. uh, I would ask him about that. Just like if I was interviewing Stephen King about his new book, you know, he and I might talk politics or go in that direction. But if, if, if my job was to talk to you about your thing, I'm going to talk to you about your okay. thing. You know, if there's a political dimension to it, I always bring that up. In fact, that's what I loved about this job especially early on, was talking about those meanings and things that people believe. So I would, I mean, I would gladly talk to James Woods about his, um, his activism and his would, views. Would I, you I would, some messages from me to him? For, <laughs> I'll just put him in a little letter. You can just slide it over. Well, like, here's what I say about James Woods. I think he's a great actor. I love a ton of James Woods movies. Yeah. And I'm really sad he feels this way. But I'll tell you this, we got most of the cool people. Most yeah, of them. <laughs> like, I'm okay losing James. I'm okay losing, like, Chuck Woolery. I'm like, you guys can have him. That's I mean, like, Chuck Woolery and Pat Sajak, like, uh, okay, like. You guys we, can, Russia can keep Steven Seagal. I'm good. Like, like as Bill Murray would have said, medium talent, you know? <laughs> like, they can have him. Good. James Woods, I think he's a, he's a cool actor. And there's a lot of films of his and performances that I think are great. I think it's kind of sad that he's gone this way. But I think there are a lot of people like him who have been brainwashed by Fox News and far right media like Breitbart, which, you know, to say nothing of of these like dark sites like Stormfront and and 4chan, which seem to create a lot of the memes oh. and language that eventually trickles down then through Breitbart and into Fox News and then into the brain of your dad. You know, and um, I, I read uh, so many uh, fascinating articles with people just basically like mourning their parents who are still with us and were decent people and maybe are nice people they in are. real life, but they've come to believe this fear mongering and this deception and distortion and propaganda <sighs> because it's on TV all the time and it my must uncle, be true. It's my, my uncle, not blood related, but my uncle. Mm -hmm. Um, I like to make that clarification. Mm -hmm. it's, we just can't talk when we're, we just don't. And I'm going to see him actually at a family event. And I love him. And he's, he's amazing. And I don't understand how he can support Trump. We've had arguments to the point where my husband's like, you got to keep it closed. I'm like, but I can't. And literally like physically like took me out of a room. I'm like, but another thing. He's like, you got to, you got to take it down a notch. I'm like, I can't. Yeah. And it's one of those things like we're, 
we're never going to see eye to eye, so we can't <clears throat> talk about it. And I can't take it personally anymore, but I think that's where a lot of people are. I will say that James Woods used to be on my mom's list, as we all have a list. Mm -hmm. He is no longer on that list anymore. <laughs> you mean um, like uh, if you got a chance to have a, a passionate night with him, that list or a different yeah. list? No, that's the list. That would be yeah, the list. Yeah. And I was like, it's on the list, and not so much. I was like, you're uh, lost, James Woods. I have a really funny story about that. Like uh, my, uh, my cousin-in-law and his wife, uh, we were talking about U2, she loves Bono, you know, and um, and I'd interviewed the band a uh. couple of years ago, and she was like, oh, tell me everything. She, we're sitting there, she's like, oh, tell me, what did he look like? What did he smell like? <laughs> uh, and he's like, you know, uh, my cousin Johnny was, uh, oh, you know, he's like, okay, she's got a big crush on Bono, and she's like, oh, he's on my list. <laughs> he's on my list. Right, Johnny? Like, that's okay. And Johnny was like, yeah, that's okay. Like, I get it, it's Bono. She's like, well, who, who would be on your list? He's like, I don't want to play this game. She's like, no, no, come on. I choose Bono. Who's on your list? He's like, eh, I don't really want to choose somebody for a list. I'm happy with you. She's like, no, no, you have to choose somebody. Come on, who do you choose? Who's on your list? And he goes, uh, I really like that uh, that blonde who walks her dog in the morning in our neighborhood. I think she was recently divorced. Yeah, she, okay, you have Bono. I'll put her on my list. <laughs> That's not fair. That's just... I also think it's, I, don't, I think the idea of a list is so hilarious. It's like if you see them in the wild, we're going to run after and be like, okay, stop, Charlize, Charlize, you're on my list. You're I, on my, we can do I, it. Thought, I, I have to say, I thought that was genius though. Choose somebody, <laughs> hey, you know, maybe but, we'll uh, meet on the, <laughs> while walking the dogs. Who knows? Actually, I'm allowed. It's on my list. <laughs> it's funny. My, my husband used to make that joke because I was, he was asking like my list. Also, I had like mm -hmm. Mandy Patinkin and Patty Lapone. So he's like, I think we're good. <laughs> uh, and he's like, well, maybe I should put Mandy on my list because we're so competitive. I'm like, you could do that. But to say like, he's like, there's a lady who like washes my hair. And I was like, you can't put people who are like <laughs> within reach. I see her a lot. Yeah. Well, anyway, it was, uh, but yeah, I, I, but I, I understand. Love a lady who walks her dog. I mean, like, we're moving. Yeah. We're officially yeah. moving. We know, I, can we know. See, I can see taking James Wood off your, off of yeah. that list, but I'm not throwing out any of his movies. Like to me, I can still enjoy that. Um, and I am, I am, I am relieved that like 98% of the artists I really love also <laughs> have their hearts and minds in the right place. It's so good places, you know, Imagine somebody yeah. I saw this on Twitter. Somebody was like, imagine being MAGA and oh. like <laughs> every musician and actor and writer Hates and you. performer you like is constantly tweeting about <laughs> what scumbags you are. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're going like, to be you're only going to be able to listen to Kid Rock like that's going to be yeah. it. Yeah, which is everybody wants to say how uninformed you are and how cruel you are. And like, uh, I hate to say scumbags. I don't like to name call. I do try to avoid that on social media. But I, as a shorthand for cruel and uh, unusual, let's it say. Works. <laughs> it it kind of works. Yeah. Uh, who are you excited about for 2020? Like who out of the candidates, who do you think, who are you like, okay, this, this excites me. Or I think this could generate enthusiasm enough that they could beat Trump. Well, you know... <sighs> It's interesting because, like, my wife and I have really tried to think locally. Like, for the past two years, it's so frustrating seeing the daily uh, cascade of failures and deception <laughs> from from the White House. And I realized, like, I can get mad about this, and I should stay aware of it. 
but also like I can't change that. Nothing I do can change that, except I can change who my representative in Congress is. I can change who's on my school board so that our schools are protected from the people who would kind of see this bad information and this ugliness and, and hatred on kids. And like we really did start thinking thinking locally and working to elect those candidates. And we flipped our district from Steve Knight to Democrat Katie Hill, who's now That's all, amazing. Who's all over. Like not only is she kicking ass in Congress and she's appointed to like uh, the the oversight committee, but like she's also a great national spokesperson for a lot of these issues. And she's on TV all the time talking about it. And um uh, a variety of issues. And uh, so we look at that and we're like, oh, all those hours of volunteering and money we paid off that my, my wife donated and uh, uh, and uh, all the letters we wrote and all the advocacy we did, like like we we helped up with, you know, I'm not claiming sole credit for that by any means, but like we helped with lots of other people in our community to put her in office. And like she's changing things. She is one person pulling an oar who's changing things for the better among all those wonderful women in white that we saw at the State of the Union. Like, she was there. (laughs) Uh, And, like, when I see her in action, I just think, like, okay, uh, now that's what we did for the midterms. And now, as you said, like, who am I excited for for 2020? Like, we're – my wife and I are trying to keep our minds open. You know, we want to hear – hey, it's – it's a rapidly evolving situation, it right? Is. So let's <laughs> let's well, hear. Let's find out who was in blackface in college. Oh God. <laughs> well, I don't. You know? I just was told I have a few more minutes, and I want to. Oh, oh, no, no. Oh, but, I, but but I was gonna say I was gonna say Kamala yeah. Harris oh, really well, blew she, us away. She to me is like she's inspiration. Mm-hmm. She, uh, I wish we had more time because I could literally just wax on and on. Um, but I want to actually thank you for something, and I want to make sure I don't lose time. Okay. You did something for me, and I know you have no idea what I'm talking about, but there's two things. And if I don't thank you, I will I will be forever disappointed in myself. A couple years ago, I'm going to try to do this without crying, too. A couple years ago, I messaged you. I didn't have a lot of followers on Twitter. My aunt, who was like my mom and means the world to me, she was dying. And we sang her the fight song, the Rachel Pat song all the time. And she would sing it. We'd FaceTime and we'd sing it. And that was like, that was her anthem. And when it was just really, um, when it was really bad, you kind of get desperate when somebody is sick and you're just like, what can I do? And there's nothing you can do. And you just hope. And that doesn't always feel like enough. And so I thought, I'm going to try to get Rachel Patton to... E- email her and just tweet at her because my aunt got on Twitter because of me. Mm-hmm. So I tweeted her and I messaged you and I said, Hey, can you help me? Can you message her too? You have people, maybe she'll, she'll listen. And you did. And Rachel tweeted my aunt. Oh, well, I'm so glad to hear that, it, that, that, uh, that and it turned was, out for her and gave her And just nice so you know, it was because moment. of you. And I, I am, I'm beyond grateful because she saw that when we, we were flying out there and I asked my uncle, I was like, did she see it? And he goes, she saw it and she smiled. And it was, it was one of those things you kind of cherish those smiles. So it just, yeah. it meant the world to me. And I just want to tell you like, you know, social media can be really, can be a, a shithole place and full <laughs> of evil and horribleness, but it can also be a place of just goodness and connection. And that, 
that was everything to me. It was everything to my family to know that she had that and she had that smile. And so I just want to say thank you. And you also wrote me oh. a very kind note and that kindness I will never forget. And a couple of years ago, or it was like last year, you also wrote a piece on Mr. Rogers, oh, yeah. which I will tell everybody, you have to read it. It is remarkable. It is beautiful. And I had, I was going through a day where I was missing my aunt and just thinking about her a lot and your piece was the perfect timing for me to read that and kind of just filled my heart. And so that's one of the reasons I also wanted to talk to you because I, I feel like I, I knew you and I knew your heart and I just wanted to say thank you because if I didn't get to do that, I'd be remiss. So thank you. Well, thank you that you've really, you know, moved me with that. That's an amazing story. And I really am glad that you like the Mr. Rogers thing. It's funny. Oh. I, you know, I tweeted that out as like a little thread while I was, putting my son to sleep. He was like four years old at the time. But, you know, bedtime is always like, because you have to sit in there with a the little <laughs> kid, make sure they don't like get up and start doing Legos or something. Like just rock him to sleep, put him in his bed. Then it's like, I'm going to sit and scroll on my phone. And usually it's a time of like extreme peace in the room and extreme anger as I read the evening news you know, like about what's happening. And, and I started tweeting out this Mr. Rogers story and it's the reaction to it really surprised me, but it was one of those things where it blew up in a good way. And I'm so touched that people liked it. And uh, I'm a little, a little bit chagrined that the thing I dashed off while I was (laughs) sitting in the rocking chair. Taking more time with it had I known. Um, uh, But I'm glad that you, I'm glad you liked it. And uh, I really enjoyed talking to you today too. Thank you so much. And I just want to remind everybody If you enjoyed this conversation, just visit Deep State Radio Network. You can support all these great conversations that we're getting to have. And if you're a member, you get early access to everything, podcasts, newsmaker interviews, discount on all the swag. And in L.A., we always talk about swag, so you have to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, And you can also follow you can follow us on Twitter and on Facebook, which is, of course, lovely. And as I've told you about, you can follow Anthony Bresnikan and he's at Bresnikan. Mm-hmm. on Twitter and you can follow me at CIA Spy Girl and thank you again so much for your time I really appreciate it oh yeah thank you thank you very much you know and just to everybody who's listening um you know I, I write about superhero movies and space movies and Stephen King um and I had a, a little following from that and I, I decided that I wanted to talk about other things that meant something to me too politics and 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 social issues and you can do both you can have fun and you can do both you can. Uh, and talk about things that matter. And even if you don't have a huge following or don't think you do, there are, there's somebody out there who believes in you and trusts your judgment. And if you say what you believe, you will never regret it. Some people may give you a hard time, but you will never regret that. And um, we're only going to change things if we all stand together. Absolutely. Oh, I love ending like that. Thank you again. <laughs> Thank you. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Deep State Radio is a production of the Deep State Radio Network, a division of TRG Interactive Media. Our podcast today was produced in cooperation with Goat Rodeo Productions and was supervised by Ian Enright. Join us again for another episode of Deep State Radio. If you don't, we know where to find you.